Well, we're looking at the book of Lamentations. This week, these new air conditioners are going to be put in, which is good, over on both sides of me here. And uh, Last week, I felt a little bit undressed because I didn't have my sports coat on. I have it on today. It's probably going to be warm, but that's okay. It may come off. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's part of my gear. <laughs> I just, it feels good uh, to be up here to do that with this uh, address like this. Um, so... We're looking at this book, and uh, I hope it's been uh, an, a, a eye-opening, a learning time for those who have been hearing it. Uh, it certainly has transformed a lot of things in my life, and especially uh, understanding this book. As I said, um, I don't hear many sermons on the book of Lamentations, except what we're going to be talking about a few verses today, uh, I'm sure as you read it, sometimes you may have read it over the years and figured, well, maybe someday I'll learn what it means or it'll, it'll come together for me, but I'm hoping I'm giving you the opportunity through God's grace to be able to work our way through this book to be able to be a, a useful book, um, a tool that God has given to us, one, to understand who he is, which I think is is major with the Bible itself is coming to understand who God is because we don't understand ourselves until we come to understand who God is and our need for Him. And so um, uh, also understanding what a lament is. Uh, it's not spoken of too much in churches as just a term rather than a way of life for us, a way of, of prayer for us, a way for us to communicate to God, uh, be able to uh, draw closer to God. It's counterintuitive that we think when we lament, we, we protest, we give our complaints to God, that we're, that we're concerned about overstepping our boundaries of, of reverence and talking to Him. But um, it's, uh, as it's been said and quoted, I quoted uh, folks before a couple times now, that lamenting is a path to praise. It's really, it leads us to that point. Lamenting is uh, bringing out a complaint and protesting to God and then ultimately ending in, a, in a, a, an understanding that we trust in God. It, it brings us to trusting in a relationship with the God that we believe in and we have a faith in. And uh, that says what I've, uh, again, I can't help but bring it up a week after week until we get through this book at least, but hopefully every week, is, is, is that for us to pray, we need faith. For us to lament, we need this strong element of faith because lamenting can just be complaining, but it turns into a prayer and it turns into a means of grace for us when we have faith. And faith in God and through His Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we understand the gospel and we understand everything that God has done for us. That brings us to that, that place where we can lament. And lamenting may be the only thing that we can do at times in our life. And this is where the poet, or Jeremiah, who very well written this, this book for us, is showing us. 
And God is instructing us and giving us this privilege of realizing that during this dark providence of God, by this very dark period of time, as brought on by God, as is very clear in this, in this book, as we saw last week, God is <coughs> certainly being credited with all of the calamity and all of destruction and all of the, of the, the woeful feelings of, of, and, and sights that, that uh, is being seen by, by this poet or Jeremiah himself as an observer. And we, we've seen it in a personification of a, the woman or, or of, of Zion or Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, being portrayed as a widow who has lost everything and is just crying out for people to come alongside and help her. And I have no comfort whatsoever in her loneliness. And then last week we saw in chapter 2 uh, how this, uh, this observer was now talking about how the pain of others has affected him. And we see uh, in chapter 2 that, uh, that we see that there's some horrific things taking place. That is God is, he says, he bent his bow like an enemy. He cut us down in, in fierce anger. He has swallowed us up without mercy. He has become our enemy. He has laid us waste. The Lord has scorned the altar. The identity of Israel is gone. The, the, the land is decimated. The temple is completely destroyed. Any, any vestige of who they are is gone completely. People have been taken off and tortured and exiled as captives and taken off to Babylon by the Babylonian uh, army under the two years of siege of choking the city of Jerusalem uh, Nebuchadnezzar just just took the life right out of of the people of God and, and we saw last week that uh, uh, he was saying that the prophets as he says in uh, in verse uh, in verses 10 and 11 and 12 he says that the prophets have just and, and the elders of the church they have not had a vision of God. They have no revelation. They have no, no, no word to us from God. They're not teaching us anything. They're not helping us. They've completely left us empty. But because there were false teachers that have come, and it says, remember as we looked at last week, he says that people were telling him, the prophets were saying, oh, we've got the temple. We've got the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Oh, there's peace. And then, and and then the prophet Jeremiah says, no, my, these people are telling you, falsehoods they're telling you that there's peace when there's no peace at all and they've been lied to and and they've been they've been listening not to the word of god but to false uh, servants of of god and so he says in verse 11 my eyes are spent weeping my stomach churns in verse 11 my bile is poured out he's he's responding to the to the pain of others and as, as we said last week, I, I said last week about two things that should come out of here is that the name of the title of the sermon was taking it personally. And one is, is that we, we as a family of God join in with people who are suffering. We, 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 make it, we take it on personally that we pray for them and we, we join in with them in their sorrow as much as possible. And we bring that to the Lord. We lament with them to the Lord. And then we also take personally this wrath that, that is being exhibited by God, and rightly so, and through his justice and his holiness, he is 
he is disciplining the, the people of God. And there's that two ways of looking at wrath. There is this, this uh, forsakenness, this God cutting him off completely because of the disobedience that has been uh, prophesied by God and all the prophets from the very beginning. That you have promised you were going to be my people, but I know that you are going to be disobedient. And because of that, because of you, you, you want the blessings, but let me tell you the curses that go along if you don't follow me. And we read last week in Leviticus, you could see in 26 and in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, the curses of all the things that are being described here about famine and, and the, the horrific things that children are dying and, and parents are eating their children because they've got no food. And they're just, they're just now lost. And as we... Uh, we looked at that term last week, being in the fog, the fog of this, of this darkness of God, this dark providence of God. And so now we, now we, we move on to chapter 3. But, but a couple things that we need to bring along with us from chapter 2 is notice the reason is, is that uh, there is this, there is this be, being able to talk to God is this second part of this wrath of God, and that is for the people of God. Those who have disobeyed God have not had their heart circumcised. They've never really followed God. And so these are the ones who are really now receiving the curse. They are being cut off. They are covenant breakers. They're done. If they've died in their, in their, in their sin, they've died. They now have, no longer have hope. But there's this other side of the discipline of God, where now God is disciplining the remnant. God is disciplining the chosen people of God. As he, has, as he does for us, and as the Bible teaches, thus that we should not despise the discipline. Now, verse 17 of chapter 2 gives us a, a clear understanding as he says, the Lord has done what he has purposed. He has said that he is going to do this if Israel and if the people of God fail. If they disobey, and he's lived up to his word. He has carried out his word as he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the mighty of your foes. This is what he's promised. But on the other side of this is that if he's promised the curses, then he's also promised the blessings. And that's what covenant people do. Hang on to the blessings of God, how God has revealed himself to us in the covenant. That's, that's the key of the Bible, is understanding covenants. And so what we see here, and we've been re reading, is that they know, Jeremiah, the poet, these people understand that they deserve what they're getting. They deserve. They have been disobedient. They understand that they're being disciplined by God. And I said last week that sometimes some of the calamity in our life is brought on by sin that we, we carry on, that we continue to do. In. And God disciplines us, but yet there's this discipline that God brings in our life that we are like Job, not perfectly righteous, that we're perfect people, but that it is an innocent kind of suffering. And it's a suffering of, of, of our bodies, falling apart or or the sin of other people affecting us the sin of individuals in our life relationships broken 
We lose things. It's the, it's the fog of so many things that happen. Around. We, the fog of, of broken relationships. The fog of losing money. The fog of diseases and cancer. The fog of, of, just, of, of just life itself. There are so many different things that God lets come into our life. And he does it to grow us, to increase and understand that sanctification process of us becoming holy, of us realizing that we totally depend upon him. And so what the purpose of Jeremiah or the poet writing this is that he says, cry out to God. Remember we saw that in, in, in verse 19. He, is, he has been talking about this and about what's happening and, and the horrific feelings that he has, how he's responding to this pain. And then he says in, the, in verse 19, Arise, cry out in the night. Call out to God. As I said, you know, when we're silent, it is not a good thing. Now, we're going to see in here about being silent, but it's not not talking to God. But the silence here, he's saying, don't be silent. Because silence can mean a broken relationship, as I gave the illustration when husbands and wives or family stop talking to each other, that's not a good thing. When they start shouting at each other, it's a good thing. It's a beginning, right? There's at least something happening. And so he is saying, cry out. Do not let this um, identify you. Do not let this make this how you understand who God is. Continue to cry out to him. And then what happens here is, is that instead of praying, instead of crying out, the lady Zion of chapter 1 does something in verse 20. He says, she says, look, O Lord, and see. And instead of crying out, what happens to us as well is that we bring questions. When we're in that fog, sometimes we question. Now, here in this book, there's no question is why what's happening. There's no question of why. But in our lives, sometimes we don't have the answers of why. Why is this going on in my life now? Why is the Lord allowing not one, not two, not three, but five, six, seven things just continually going on in a life where you just can't move? And so what happens is that it brings questions. In that book uh, by Josh Billings that I... uh, mentioned early on in in March when I first started doing this, rejoicing uh, in lament, work uh, as a a professor, uh, he has has cancer. And so he writes this great book about rejoicing in laments through through the book of Psalms. And in it, that section, he talks about the fog, and then he also talks about this, the times for questions. And so notice the questions that that are very honest in verse 20. With whom have you dealt this? Should women eat the fruit of their womb and the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed? Lord, have, have you gone too far? Do you, as I said, do you, do you know what you're doing? God wants us. He appeals to us, as the, as the poet does, do this. Cry to me. Bring it all to me. I want to hear it. I want you to have that kind of relationship to me. Because if we bring it, then lamenting with faith leads to trust. 
And that's what the psalmist is telling us here. So let's look at chapter 3. We're going to read... We're going to read up to verse 20. We're going to look up to verse 24 today. Now remember the book of Lamentations, the title of it in Hebrew is not Lamentations. It is the one word, and the word is how. That's the title of the book of Lamentations. And so we see, as we, I mentioned last week, ver, verse, the very first word in chapter 1, the very first word in chapter 2, the very first word in chapter 4 is the word how. It is, the, it is just this word, how. How? How? How can you let this happen? How can it be this bad? That's, that's what uh, is the name of the book. And so now it is also, as we've talked about, in a technical perspective, it's the, the book of, of uh, Lamentations is an acrostic. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, each verse of, uh, there are 22 verses in chapter 1, chapter 2, 4, and 5, Chapter 3 is different. It is to an acrostic, and an acrostic means that every verse begins with a letter of the alphabet, 22 letters. Chapter 3 is different. It's got three verses with each having A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. That's what, that's, can you imagine how, I mean, how difficult it is to write just one verse, but now to write 66 verses with this, using the same letter for three verses. Just, it's, it's beautiful poetry. But now we see this chapter in the very first sentence, I am the man who has seen affliction. So now it's coming from not someone observing what's taking place, not someone observing someone's pain. It is now the, the individual, the observer, probably Jeremiah himself, now talking, as we'll read this, he is now talking how this pain is his pain. It's not someone else's pain. How he feels, how he is feeling, how his relationship with God is going because of this. So let me pray before I read. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would give us trust and, and pray for wisdom. We pray for your blessing of the Holy Spirit to help us as we walk through this book, we walk through these verses, that you will give us a, a sense of your character, your goodness, your mercy, your compassion. And yet, Lord, that very much a part of you is your holiness and your justice, which your wrath is and anger is so much a part of. And so, Lord, we have to come to grips with understanding who you are, both those areas of life and both of those areas, I mean, of your character that we embrace, but those, Lord, that cause us to fear you cause us to rightly understand that we should not be as cavalier and as frivolous and as trite as so many people may be and so many Christian books and so many preachers are about this relationship with you, that you are a holy God, a God who is a consuming fire, who it is not a good thing to fall into your hands. So, Lord, I pray that because of our desire to know you, you will continue to change us, continue to form us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus, in whom you are very well pleased with. 
And that's in who we rest our hope and our trust in today. We pray it is in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look at these first six verses, and it says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Now notice again, he's going to attribute, he's going to use words that can make us all feel uncomfortable. But he has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead long ago. We see this, someone who drives us and someone who, who brings us and someone who has a, a rod, which is, uh, some, some scholars talk that this may be the, the, the reversal of the good shepherd. The, the reversal of someone having, you know, the, the, the staff, which is the rod of discipline or the rod of comfort, now is being turned against him. And now God is not guiding him to beside still waters. He's dri driving him. He feels driven. He feels like he's just being pushed in a place where he doesn't want to go. And that there's no sunshine. It's complete darkness. There, is, there isn't anything light about this. So he realized that it has to be the hand of God doing this. Quite, quite a, a, a reversal, is it not? The good shepherd now becoming the shepherd who has gone crazy. Notice what he says now in verses 7 to 9. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. I, I got to tell you, these, if, these, if these words don't ever sound like words that you have ever prayed or ever thought of, I'd certainly, this section, this chapter, these verses, just for me, just sound so real to me. So many words and feelings and emotions that I have expressed to God in a way that I have felt fearful. But now since I've studied the book of Lamentations, it gives me this, this ability to feel free now to, because God's encouraging us. God's wanting us as a little child that, look, you know, Mom, I don't like what you're doing. You know, I don't like what you see. I mean, can you imagine? Okay, Jim, you go out tonight. You better be home by 10 o'clock. And if you're not home by 10 o'clock, there's going to be consequences. No problem, Dad. You come in at 11 o'clock. Okay, I'm sorry I had such and such this, but what did I tell you? Yeah. Okay, so your consequences according to you, you're not going to drive the car for a week. Well, don't you think that's a little extreme? Now, we said okay to it in the beginning to take the car, but now it's extreme. And this is what's going on here, is that we're looking at the justice of God and we're going, you know, we're not perfect. We're, we're, we're fallen creatures. We don't understand the perfection of God. What happens to us is, I'm reading a new book, and it's called uh, None Greater, The Undomesticated Attributes of God. What we try to do is domesticate God. We try to make God something that we can tame. And that's where people are peddling 
these Christian books and trying to, the, the health and wealth and naming and claiming and the prosperity people are domesticating God. They want all the benefits, but they never talk about the wrath of God. They never talk about the anger of God. What do you do when you've got stuff going on in your life? Never talk about that stuff. What do you, they say you can have a victorious life. What about, as John was praying, what about when you're struggling with sin in your life? You're struggling with things going on in your life. That's the reality. That's what a Christian looks like. It is not about prosperity. The Bible's full of suffering. That's who we are as believers. As first Peter, what's Peter say? Peter didn't say, oh, you poor people, I'm so sorry what you're going through. He goes, don't think it's strange. He says, remember the gospel. Remember that God is holding all of your treasures in heaven. He is holding your inheritance in heaven. It's in the bank. No one can break into it. It's better than Fort Knox. So in light of that, this is how you properly walk in this world. In spite of these troubles, in spite of these trials that you have. Now that's not easy. And Peter didn't think it was easy, and God doesn't think it's easy either. That's why he wants us to bring it to him. And this is where we can go when we feel this awful sense that it's just overwhelming what we're going through. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I cry, I call, I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. We're just told to call out. We're just told to cry out. We're asked by the, the, the prophet Jeremiah, the poet, to cry out because God wants us to cry out. But what's the sense of crying out if he's shutting out our prayer? Well, it certainly feels like God is deaf, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like you just pray and you pray and you pray? And you pray. You pray for, I remember praying... I asked the Lord for something that didn't, nothing happened for seven years. I got what I needed, but after seven years, lots of things happened in my life that I can never get back again. And the same happens for you. There's these you, periods of time as we wait for God, we feel like, Lord, what is going on? Now, we know we're just constantly post, supposed to bring our petitions to the Lord because of he is the one that can do something about it. Not that we're twisting his arm. But he says, he has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. <laughs> just completely reversal of what we read about God making straight our paths. And then he talks about in verse 10, uh, verse 10 to, and uh, 12, he is, a bearing, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He has turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for my, his arrows. Verse 13, he drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. He says, stand up over here. I'm going to use you as a target. I'm going, to use, I'm going to have target practice, and I'm just going to shoot my arrows at you. I mean, it's just like, this is mind-boggling. But this is, this is how Jeremiah is crying out. This is how he feels. 
these feelings being hunted. It's relentless. It doesn't end. When is it going to stop? I'm so tired. I want to give up. I just can't keep on going. Verse 14, now he's, he's driven into despair. He goes, I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood, with, his, with bitterness, that word is. Now this is, these verses here are the ones that I can totally, totally associate with. Maybe you have yours as well, even though they're so graphic. He said, he has made my teeth grind into gravel. He has made my teeth grind in gravel. How, how much further down can you go? You can't go much further down in gravel. Don't you feel like in your life that you're spitting out stones because you can't get any lower? He's attributing this to what the God is doing. He has made my teeth grind. I mean, I can't, you can't, I can't think of a descriptive level of being, how low can you get? It is the nadir, the deepest part, place of suffering. You can't go any further. You have, you just, nobody's hearing you. You feel like you're, you can't escape. And besides that, your head is pushed down and you can't go any further. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Have you ever been to a place where the, the, the discipline of God or God's allowed things go on in your life where you just don't get happiness anymore? You forgot what it was to be joyful and to be happy and to be able to be lighthearted? I know what that feels like. I've been prone to depression my life. I understand what it is to be in a fetal position for weeks, just being paralyzed because you don't know where to go. Nobody helps. Mother, father, brothers, nobody helps. Even wife doesn't help. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. How long is this going to last? I mean, I, this is so honest. I have forgotten what happiness is. How's your day? Okay. When you really want to say, it is so bad, I can't stand it. But we won't, don't want to say that because Christians can't say that stuff, Right? That's where we need to be honest with one another. And to be able to handle that when we come and say, oh, wow, no, what am I going to say to that? So I say, my endurance is perished, and my hope, and so is my hope from the Lord, gone. And then what's even more troubling is this. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, my, my homelessness. That's what he's talking about. The bitterness and the gall. Yeah, I can remember that very well. That's not hard for me to remember. I can taste it. The gravel's still coming out of my mouth. Verse 20, my soul continually remembers that. Can't get it out of your head, can it? it can't, it's so consuming that we just can't get it out of our heads. No matter what we try to do, try to think about something else minutes, seconds, you try to think about it and it won't go away. It's just the default mode of your mind. You just can't get it out of your head. It's automatic. And, is, and my soul is continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Then we see something change here. And the word is but. That's an adversative word. 
It's, it's like you were, you know, um, in Ephesians, it says, you used to be objects of wrath, but now. In, uh, uh, in Romans chapter 3, it says, you know, the, this, the righteousness is, uh, the, the, right, the, the justice of God is being revealed to the world by all of the sins that he talks about in chapter 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, in the beginning of 3, like, you know, everybody's mouth is, is, uh, is full of venom, you know, no one does good, no one is good at all, and then it says here, but a righteousness from, God, from heaven has been revealed. Those big words, that word but is a big word. He says, but something happens. He goes, but this, if i got to remember, I've got to train myself, i got to do all I can, even if it's for a moment, I need to remember something else, he says. And that's why the Bible teaches us, I have hidden your word in my heart so I may not sin against you. Faith comes from hearing. He says, this but this I call to my heart. Not his mind. This word here is the word heart. This I call to and remind in my heart. And remember in my heart. And therefore I have hope. Even though I feel as hopeless of anything, even for a moment, folks, even if it's for a moment, that's the miracle that God has given to us. That's the gift that God has given to us to remember something different that certainly counter of where we are all going with these emotions and feelings. And these are real. These are real events. These are real things that happen. People have all these things go on in their life. And it's very hard to, to change our mindset. But he says here, now it's these words that we're going to be singing about soon, and here's where he, he goes on, and, and we... we uh, uh, most people know verses 22 to 24. That's all they know and memorize in the book of, of uh, Lamentations. But therefore, but this I call to mind. And what is this? What is this that he calls to mind? He remembers who God is. He doesn't remember anything else but who God is. That's what we must, must remember. Who is God and what has he done for us? So then he says, the steadfast love, that is that word, kessed love, that covenantal love. He says, the, the steadfast love, and it's actually plural here. It's steadfast loves of, of the Lord. They never end. And some translations say, uh, uh, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not consumed, or we are not cut off. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him, even though he is treating me like everything else you can possibly think of. He says this. He says, I know something different. My head may be wanting me to remind in this. My body, my spirit may feel like this. But deep down inside my faith is telling me to remember who God is. And remember, uh, back in, in uh, 34, in um, Exodus 34, very important passage, because this is the first time we read this kind of language, and it goes back over a thousand years, maybe a thousand years, back to Moses. 
And he goes, Jeremiah goes all the way back to the very beginning. And what has taken place in Terror 34? Well, they just had the episode of the calf. They just had that where, where the people were just promising and everybody was, they just have been delivered. And what's happened? And Joshua comes down and he says, oh no, that's not a good sound. That's a sound of, of, of people <laughs> rebelling against you, God. And Moses is bringing down the tablets. And so he says, after all this takes place, he says in verse uh, 6 and 7 of chapter 34 of the book of Exodus, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. But he, but he excuse me, but who will by no means clear the guilty. He is a God of justice. He is a God of holiness. He can't defy who he is. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We see here that he goes all the way back to this creed. He goes back to this confession. And that's what he's saying here, is that, folks, we need to go back to a confession. We need to go back to what is it that we believe about who God is. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> all right, where are you here? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the reason why we, this all takes place is because of Christ, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, you see how he's building one platitude, one theological, one doctrinal statement after another, building this? He says, since we have all of this, verse 22, let us, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That means this complete forgiveness of sins. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's what Jeremiah is saying. He heard, he's learned this confession of, of, of uh, Exodus chapter 4. Excuse me, chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, that this is who God is. This is the character of God. This is the theology of God. This is not an undomesticated God. It is a God who we don't put in a box. It is a God who we don't control. It is not a Santa Claus that we wish and we write a list out to. It is the God of the Bible who is loving and friendly and kind and merciful and is to be feared. And not to be tamed. That is the God whom we are to run to and cry in our prayers to and bring all of our senses and our feelings to because there are going to be times in some of our lives that there is going to be this ongoing suffering in our lives that we 
cannot do a thing about. I wanted you to look at something with me today, but it didn't, it's not working. Is from the Confession of Faith, chapter 18 of Westminster Confession of Faith. Listen to what it says. 18.4. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation shaken, diminished, or temporarily lost in various ways, as by negligence in persevering in it, by falling into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, by some sudden or violent temptation, or by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and allowing even those who, who reverence him to walk in darkness and have no light. Yet, true believers are never completely deprived of that seed of God, the faith of life, that love for Christ and fellow believers, that sincerity of heart and conscience concerning duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by which, in meantime, they are supported from utter despair. That's what Jeremiah the poet is talking about in the book of Lamentations. That's what Peter is talking about when he, when he writes his letter to those who are suffering. That is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he said, let us hold to the confession. Folks, what else do we have? If we don't have an objective truth about who God is and we create that God, that God is surely to disappoint us. And we realize that judgment is not the final thing. It's a season. God brings that kind of discipline for a season in our lives. But his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is always there. God never forsakes us. He never leaves us. Again, I just want to bring this out and how important it is in the, in the Bible is that we, if in Psalm 139, Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search my heart and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, which here is a good thing. We feel we can't escape. We feel like we're being walled in. Here, this, this protective wall that God has around us. And lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, such knowledge of God is, he says here, it's just too wonderful for me. Now, you know what? It may be wonderful for us when we're sitting on a beach, right? We're on vacation. The air conditioner's working. The furnace is working in the wintertime. The car starts up. Our kids are beautiful. Nothing's going on in their life. Your parents are great. Everything's great. The nation's great. Everything's great. This is wonderful. It's too wonderful. Oh, it's just so juicy, Lord. I just love it. It brings tears to my eyes. Until, until it all changes. Then is it too wonderful or is it too hard to even get your face wrapped around? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where or where shall I flee from your presence? We're talking about the character of God, his omniscience, his, his presence, his omnipotence, his power. 
If I ascend to heaven where you are there, if I make my bed in grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. It may be dark to us, but God can see. The night is bright as day, the darkness is light for you. For you formed my inner parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my uninformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that are formed for me. When, when as yet there are none, was none of them, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Is that something we believe in? Is that our confession? Is that just nice when things are nice? Or do we believe that that's who God is? And the answer is yes. It is when we believe that God is and when we believe that God all of a sudden has left town. As Don McLean, right, said in American Pie, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost took the last train for the coast. They're gone. The day all of a sudden the music dies, the day when all of the joy and all of the happiness we have, that's why we need to be in the church. That's why we need to be under teaching. That's why we need to have God's Word spoken to us and taught to as well. That's why we need to understand Bible and do Bible studies. That's why we need each other to encourage each other. That's why we need each other to be able to be personally involved in people's lives, to come alongside, to be side by side. That's what Jeremiah is telling us. That's what the Word of God is teaching us. Last, a hymn that makes this point. Whate'er my God ordains is right. It's like, be you still my soul, or it is well with my soul. You know, those ones that you, it's nice, but boy, when, you, when you're going through a dark providence of God, you cry through it, even, you know, even for a second, folks. It isn't that we're going, this, this is not going the way. The cancer's not going the way. The loved one is not coming back. Your money may never be back. You may never have that ability to do this again. This one may die. You won't, you know, it, it's all gone. It doesn't change things. Jeremiah, in the midst of him wanting to throw up bile, watching people eat their own children, he is saying this, even for a moment. That's the gift that God gives us, a moment's peace, a moment's faith, a moment's sense of understanding who God is. Sometimes it will carry us on for days, but sometimes it will just be for a moment. Whatever my God ordains is right, his holy will abideth. I will be still whatever he doth and follow where he guideth. He is my God through dark Though dark my road, he holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. He never will deceive me. He leads me by proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take con content, I take content with what he has sent. His hand can turn my griefs away. 
and patiently I wait his day. Though now this cup in drinking may be bitter, seem to my fainting heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true. Each morn a new sweet comfort, yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. And last, he shall... Here shall my stand be taken. The confession of faith. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet am I not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to Him I leave it all. Very powerful hymns. Very powerful words. And we can say amen to that. But this one's going on my wall in my office now. I've, been, I've got other ones on my wall. This one's going to go on my wall. Because I need to read them. I need to, I need to be surrounded by these things. So that in the fog of my day, I don't forget who I am. I don't forget who God is. I don't lose sight. I don't lose track of who God has revealed himself to be. I haven't made him into the mold I wanted to. He's undomesticated. And just think of all this sorrow and all this pain. Jesus bared it all. That the Father turned his face away. Somehow, some mysterious way that we can't comprehend, that Jesus was looked upon as sin, even though not a sinner. He had sin, our sin, all over him. He had all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of how we go through in our lives, everything that we do, all that, all of that anger of God came upon Jesus. So that, no, though we may feel the discipline, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We never have to worry about that judicial justice of God. Jesus took it all. We don't have to worry about that again. But that's not to say that the discipline of God is light. And it is so important for us to be able to understand, as he says, the Lord is my portion. It is what we think about all the time. It is him. He is our hope. I mean, he talks about not having hope. You read, in the, read through the Bible, you read through the New Testament, it's just about hope. Hope. What is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in his, bir his birth, his coming, his death, his dying, his resurrection, his ascension. It's all about who Jesus is. That's why we can rest assured that we're in a great relationship with God because of Jesus. So it's so important that we are a part of a community of faith that desires to be a part of one another's lives, that desires to hear the Word of God, that desires to make sure that the Word of God is being taught, that the Word of God is being lived, and that the Word of God is the Word of God. So let's pray together. Lord, you are calling us to remember Through this poet, through this prophet Jeremiah, you are telling us about who you are. And you're giving us a sense of, of knowledge about you, Lord, that 
to remember and recall ourselves for ourselves who you have revealed yourself to be. And Lord, you've written this letter for us through Jeremiah so that Jeremiah would be a, 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 a vessel of hope for those who are struggling to understand where God is in all of this. To understand how could this possibly happen. Why they understand, but how could this all happen? So that they would vividly remember and that we would vividly understand what this darkness and what this separation from you and what this, this, this sense of your, your discipline upon our lives can be like. So that, Lord, so vivid, so graphic, that no matter what happens to us, we have a category for it in our lives. We can bring that to you. We can articulate that to you in prayer. And Lord, this book is like a museum for us. Not a museum of knowledge if we go to some museum and read the charts and read the, uh, the, the, the uh, placards and listen to the lectures. Lord, we are, we are growing in our understanding, but this is like going to the 9-11 exhibit where we walk in and we experience the emotion. We understand, we can smell the smells. We can hear the sounds. We've, we've been through this, Lord. We understand the terror. Or it's like going for the, in the Holocaust Museum where people are grabbed. Father, where people are grabbed by, by the pictures and the stories. The graphic, the graphic inhumanity. This is what this book is about for us, Lord. Thank you for giving it to us. That it, we read it and we are gripped by it. And Lord, I pray that being gripped by it means that we would just thank you for who you are. And thank you for giving us a church. And thank you for saving so many others alongside of us, Lord. And preserving us and keeping us in spite of us. You will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. We will never lose our salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this book that is so neglected. Use it, Lord, to grow our faith, to be better ministers to our brothers and our sisters, to increase and even define our prayer life, to help us, Lord, to hang on to you as an anchor in a storm. Father, we thank you for Jesus who gives us this access to you that is so free, that is so abundant, that is so available. Lord, I pray that we not forget you, Jesus, that we not forget who you are in our lives because without you, Jesus, this book would be meaningless. This Bible would be just a law to us. And there would be no hope or grace or mercy that we can see. So thank you, Jesus, for dying upon the cross for us and setting us free. Thank you, Lord, for giving us Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.